The scripture reading for tonight comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, verses 13 to 21. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a lonely place apart. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. As he went ashore, he saw a great throng, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a lonely place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. And he took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. The word of the Lord. The gospel can be a trite and yellow thing on the lips of a dull and confident preacher. If in your preparation you are not at least a little bit surprised, or if you notice in the scripture the very thing you suspected was there, return to the top of the page and begin again. Now this, the first time I ever read this advice, I was in the seminary library, it was my first uh, semester, and I had this work-study job shelving books. And while this wasn't one of the books I was shelving, it was down and deep in the stacks, I noticed the name on the spine, Reverend Dr. Eldon Johnson, because he was this retired preacher who still just like hung around the seminary. And I guess he was... Uh, um, the preaching teacher at some time, he'd been retired for like decades, I think. And he actually would preach once a month in the seminary chapel. So I was just, uh, what, slacking off, I guess. Um, it was nice and cool in the stacks, you know. So I pulled the book off the shelf and opened it up, and I was curious to what he might write about it. And I just read that right there, that the gospel can be a trite and yellow thing on the lips of a dull and confident preacher. And I took it to heart. I thought, you know, you really do want to look for some, some surprise in the text. And if there is something there you already noticed, maybe you should look again if it's something that you expect to see. And I thought that was such tremendous uh, advice that I teach that now. I use that now when I'm preparing my own, uh, my own sermons here. He was, a, he was a, just a fixture there. He wore... He was like old school. He was in his 90s when I was there. And he wore this dark black suit all the time, like old school preacher. And just kind of was always around, would preach once a month. And I remember whenever he preached, he began with this prayer. He would say, Dear Heavenly Father, anoint these lips of clay and set aflame these stumbling words that your great good news may find the ready hearts and renew the faltering spirits. Every single time he preached, 
he opened with that prayer. He was kind of formal, I guess, like old school like that. He was super sweet. When I, my first, when I first, my first semester there, he, before I even heard him preach, he came up to me when I was just walking across campus and introduced himself. Um, everybody just called him Brother Eldon. Everybody from the president of the seminary to the maintenance people, they knew him and they called him Brother Eldon. And he introduced himself and asked if I'd like to have lunch. And so I did have lunch with him, and then we got together pretty regularly, actually, to have lunch. And he didn't talk all that much, but I thought he was nice. And uh, I even had him over to my apartment for dinner one time, and then I walked him back to his place. And it just, I, he was lived in this little one-room apartment. Not that nice, and I thought is this my future? You know, <laughs> um, But on his wall, he had all these books, and on his wall were these old black and white photos, and there was like one of him and Gandhi, and there was this picture of him and Martin Luther King, and then oddly, a young Jerry Brown and Charles Nelson Riley. It seemed like he'd lived a very interesting life. Um, but yeah, he was a really sweet man, and over the years, we just, I don't know, we even went to a Twins game once when they were playing the Oakland A's, which was nice. So what surprised me um, about this book that I read and this advice that he'd given was when he preached his sermons, they were, how can I put this? They always seemed a little trite and, yes, yellowing on the edges. <laughs> they seemed to be the opposite of what I'd read in this book and I remember he preached on this feeding of the 5,000. I must have heard him preach it like five different times. I don't know if it was like his favorite text. It wasn't always the same sermon, but he did always come to end every sermon with exactly what you might expect to find in this story. And he would reduce it down to some like near platitude at the end. And I just wondered if preaching had changed, or I didn't know how he was the preaching teacher, but uh, he was a nice enough guy. But, I mean, I can remember these platitudes because I, would, I get, got to be a game among students. We'd sit there and go like, he's not going to say this. Is he? He's not going to end with this, is he? And then, inevitably, he would end with some platitude. Like, um, I remember what he's, from this, he went through and he talked about how Jesus went away to this deserted place and... Um, really, it was quite amazing because Jesus had just heard that, that Herod had killed John the Baptist, and he was afraid for his own life. So he went off to this diverted, deserted place, like kind of hiding, wanted to keep a low profile. And he gets to this deserted place, and all these people are there, and Jesus has compassion on it. So he says at the end of this sermon, Jesus will meet you in the deserted places of your life. Nice. Except, I think really, if you read the text, it's more like we will meet Jesus in the deserted places of his life, <laughs> which is kind of something very different. Um, yeah, or he preached this other one, you know, just all about how, you know, the people, it was dinner time, and the disciples very prudently said, you know, maybe they need to go into town, get something to eat, and Jesus said, you know, no, we'll feed them, you know? And so, you who hunger will always be fed. It's nice. Yeah, I like it. I mean, it doesn't really, like, rock your world or anything. Yeah. 
Yeah, so um, he preached this other sermon, I remember this one, where he goes and talks about how the disciples came to Jesus and said, oh, you know, they need food and we should send them in. And Jesus says, here, you feed them. So he says that Jesus uses our hands to work his miracles. It's nice. I like it. Except it did seem like Jesus was the one who actually did the miracle. It was his hands and turned all the fish into the things. And I guess maybe Jesus uses our hands to pass stuff out. I mean, I can, that's, that's in the text if you read that, you know. That doesn't make sense as a platitude, though. Um, on a bumper sticker, that, that wouldn't really work. So I can't help thinking of all this when I come to prepare this sermon. And I sit in my office at my desk, and I read this text... And I just want to curse Brother Eldon. He has, like, done something to me where I can't read this text. I only can think, you know, that Jesus will feed you, which is nice, or I don't know. I want Jesus to do something a little bit more messed up or something that won't fit on a bumper sticker. I'm sure it's in here. I just can't read it. I can't, I can't, because I have so many of Brother Eldon's sermons on this text, and so... What am I stuck with doing? Taking Brother Eldon's own advice, even though clearly he did not, and go back to the beginning and read it again and try and find something that confuses me or surprises me or that I not, didn't suspect was there. And so I do this a couple times and a couple times, and I'm getting nowhere at all. So then I thought, well, maybe I'll go back a little bit further. And I start reading what we've been preaching on for the last couple weeks, all this stuff about the kingdom of God and what the kingdom of God is like. And that stuff's great because it's just a bunch of crazy stories that's hard to figure out. And, and so I like that. But I realize that's not what I'm supposed to be preaching on. So instead of going back and reading it again, I, just, I was kind of like remembering Brother Eldon and thinking about, like, well, I was thinking the last time I ever saw him, I was thinking about his funeral because he died my last, like, two weeks before school ended, right before I was going to graduate from seminary. And uh, I don't know, it was kind of shocking because there weren't that many people there, and I thought he was just this revered guy forever, and he, you know, had apparently knew Charles Nelson Riley. So, I mean, um, but I guess because he was, like, 97 or something like that, just a lot of people he knew had already passed. So there were a few people there... And um, I remember after the funeral, the admissions director kind of pulled me aside and she said that she um, wanted to talk to me about something, which I was like, okay, fine. And she says, it's about your scholarship. And I was like, (laughs) I was a little bit nervous because, um, well, I had received this uh, full scholarship for my entire education uh, in graduate school, which was, like, miraculous. I'm telling you, very miraculous, because I did not have that great of grades. I'll just be honest with you. Um, I didn't, and not to get a full ride, and also, I never really applied for this scholarship here, you know? And she went on to tell me that when Brother Eldon retired from teaching there, he, every three years... He would go through all the applications and pick out a student. And she said, he just picked him out. He said he prayed on him. Prayed on him. That's what he did. They said old school. And he didn't have some kind of endowment. 
he just, from his retirement, would pay this student's fees and pay for their education all the way through and they're graduated, and then he would pick another one. And uh, this admissions director told me that I was the ninth and last one. And I was just like, wow. And she said that he'd done this, he never let anybody know it, he hung out with these students, he got to know them and just made sure they were okay. I was just like, it blew me away. It really was like miraculous. This kind of anonymous miracle. And I'm sitting at my desk thinking about this, that I never even knew this miracle was happening. And then I hit, I think Brother Eldon is leading me again. I reread this text and I think about the kingdom of God and I think, Jesus knows about the feeding of the 5,000, the miraculous thing with the loaves and fishes. The disciples handing all this stuff out, they know about this miraculous feeding of the 5,000 with the loaves and fishes. The 5,000 plus men, women, women and children, they're just eating. They're just eating. They don't know it's a miracle. Somebody says to them, all right, now it's time we're going to eat. Everybody sit down. We're having fish and bread. They might even complain a little bit. Fish and bread, really, again? (laughs) But the kingdom of God is this miraculous thing that maybe we don't even know is going on around us, that gives us life, that feeds us, that sustains us, that loves us, that is there sort of buoying us up carrying us through our experiences, and we don't even see it or notice it. So I thought, yes, the kingdom of God is like that which is mundane, but is truly miraculous. I end with that trite little observation in honor of Brother Eldon. So let us experience the mundane. 